So I think dieting is probably one of the worst things people with diabetes can do, yet it's one of the only things that we're told to do. Welcome to the Binge Dietitian Podcast. I'm Jonathan, and I'm here to help you end 24-7 food thoughts, binge eating, and actually enjoy life with food. This episode is for educational and informational purposes only, not to be substituted for medical or personalized advice. Check the link in the description for my recovery resources, and let's get straight to the episode. Hey guys, welcome to the Binge Dietitian Podcast, and I'd like to introduce a special guest, Daniel Bublitz, a specialist on improving your relationship with food and improving your diabetes and your blood sugars. But how about you tell me a bit more about yourself, Danielle? I don't know. Thanks for having me. So I'm Danielle. I'm a registered dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. Um, I primarily work with people with all forms of diabetes. um, And I mainly emphasize trying to help people heal their relationship with food while managing blood sugars, which sometimes people think is not possible. So definitely what I like to hit on. Yeah. And how long have you been supporting people with diabetes or at least in a private practice uh, kind of area? So I have been with like my business, Food Freedom Diabetes, for over a year, almost two years, I think, if I can if I can count right. I think it's a year, almost a year and a half at this point. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And I just want to ask, so where did this all come from? Like, what made you want to support people struggling with the relationship with food and diabetes? Yeah. So when I was in like high school, I didn't have, I I hadn't had a diagnosis at this point, but I had been struggling with binge eating, um, dieting, you know, it's like from a very young age, I remember my pediatrician telling my mom, like, she needs to lose weight. And so by the time I was like 11, I was working with personal trainers, I was going to like weight loss boot camps. So my relationship with food was pretty fractured. Um, I just felt like I always needed to be dieting. So getting a diagnosis of type one diabetes when I was 16, I remember really not knowing anything about diabetes except for some of these like misconceptions like, oh, well, if you get diabetes, it's because you had too much sugar or you needed to lose weight. Like I had all those very kind of like fat phobic thoughts, but was all I heard about. So I felt a lot of shame when I was diagnosed and nobody else in my family had it. So it was hard to to understand, like, where did this come from? And to give you just a little background, too, um, about a month prior to getting diagnosed, I had a really severe flu. Like I was sick for an entire month. It was probably the most sick I've been in my life with like a flu. And my endocrinologist was talking to me about that. And he was saying, I I really think that this triggered an autoimmune response for you because, you know, it's I don't see a genetic component family has like the family history side of it was not there. So um, I I appreciated that and that was helpful, but I still felt a lot of shame for that diagnosis. Um, Flash forward to college, you know, I became very interested in nutrition Um, retrospect, I probably was a little obsessed with it. 
um, as maybe you understand, like very like, I want to look at all the labels and I want to look at numbers and I want to understand everything. Um, when I started my undergrad, I had a professor that assigned intuitive eating, which was really cool. Like it's not very common. Yeah. Um, and I remember reading it and I really resonated with a lot of what they were talking about with like rejecting the diet mentality. This just kind of like desire for weight loss and, you know, all these things that the dieter struggles with and that that binge pattern is a huge like struggle. So I remember she assigned us. She said, I want to do a practice with you guys called food habituation. So I want you to choose a food that you feel like is off limits. And I want you to give yourself a few days to have as much of that food as you want. And I thought she was crazy for saying that. I was like, does she even know what she's doing right now? Like, I'm going to go crazy off the walls. Um, so my food of choice was peanut butter. I loved peanut butter but I felt out of control around it. So I would get the the powdered peanut butters. I would get, you know, I would tell my roommates, just don't, you can't have peanut butter in the house, which terrible roommate. Oops. You can't have peanut butter because of me. But um, I bought myself some peanut butter. The first day I had some, I remember feeling really guilty and just like all these thoughts came up. I'm like, what am I doing the next day, I was like, okay, I'm doing this again. Uh, okay, it feels a little easier, but it's still hard. And then by the third day, I remember while the guilt was still there, something that was different was like, I actually don't want this right now. I'm feeling kind of like I've had enough. And that was a huge light bulb moment for me where I started to connect what it was talking about with that repeated exposure and giving yourself permission with food. Um, and so from that point on, I really just started diving deeper into like intuitive eating. Um, I, st I definitely struggled with rejecting the diet mentality for a while, but for the past like five years, I've been practicing intuitive eating and I started integrating it into my work. And I knew I always wanted to work with others with diabetes, but I think it it started hitting me more within the past two years where, you know, I'd spent some time working with people with eating disorders and intuitive eating. And I saw I was getting people coming through with diabetes. And I think I was like kind of shocked, like, wow, I, I didn't realize so many people like me with diabetes are having a hard time with the relationship with food. I thought this was a me thing. And so I started helping people with diabetes. I started my business and it's been such an amazing experience, like to be able to help others, like release that guilt and that shame and help them learn that all the foods that they want to eat can exist in their lives. And it doesn't have to be those very black and white rules that we get a diagnosis. So that's kind of how I came to be. That's amazing. We need more professors like that guy. Oh, my gosh. I got really lucky because um, my school. So I went to Cal State Chico, uh, which is in Northern California. And um, the professor's name was Don Clifford. Um, and then I had a couple other professors that were um, health at every size aligned and, um, yeah, teaching a lot of weight neutral. I mean, it wasn't everything, but 
there was a lot of that exposure. So I feel lucky that I learned about that in undergrad. Yeah, I mean, even in, when I studied here in Plymouth the University here in the UK, uh, we didn't have any lectures that touched greatly on intuitive eating or health at every size. I actually came yeah. across intuitive eating and health at every size or food freedom, mostly through social media, really. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. so, um, I keep forgetting the names, Evelyn Rich. I think oh, that, Evelyn Triboli and Elise Rush. Oh, you just you emerged their names. <laughs> like one person. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. they're amazing. Definitely. Yeah. So you're so right. I feel like in our like dietetics profession and in school, um, it's just not very common. But I do think that um, intuitive eating has picked up so much in like the social media realm. Um, you know, TikTok, Instagram, all that. So yeah, I'm, that's so cool that you found it. Yeah. And going back to your little experiment of food habitu- habituation, was that experiment um, your professor told you to do? Was it an assignment or something? Or was it just like, how would you try this? It was, so it was an assignment because um, we were going through intuitive eating and she. Yeah, she wanted us to try it out because I think we had also had, I'm trying to remember because it was a counseling course and it was trying to show some different like stages of change, things like that. Um, But yeah, it was an assignment she had for us. And I remember having a spark of excitement where I'm like, it's going to be peanut butter. And then I got home and was like, oh my gosh, it's going to be peanut butter. (laughs) Oh, because, because uh, actually I was going to ask about that, like cycle of change, because um. I'm only assuming, but um, let's say there were like, hypothetically, like 50 people in that room. And then I don't think if I struggled really, really badly with my relationship with food, I'm just going to ignore that assignment. Like, oh, I'm going to pretend, yes, I already know what the outcome is going to be. I'm just going to just do it. What was your motivation? Totally. Yeah. What was your motivation to continue, you know, um, having peanut butter and not be concerned about your weight if you weren't concerned? Yeah, such a good question. I I wish I could put myself back at that point to remember why I followed through with it. Because you're so, yeah, you're right. It's like people could have just done the assignment, turned it in, not really have the experience. I think there's just this part of me deep down that wanted to experience not feeling obsessed with food, you know, because that's all I knew. It's literally all I knew from the time I was young. So it's like, reading about food habituation, you know, going through some of intuitive eating, it's like, I want to experience that. And I know it's really hard. So why not give it a go? Yeah. And so you mentioned very briefly that that, uh, intuitive eating was that path to helping you reach food freedom and improving your blood sugars. Was it an easy Mm -hmm. change or was it like grueling to (laughs) jump into intuitive eating? Okay, so I always talk to people about this, like my friends, you know, other people that, you know, focus on like food freedom, intuitive eating content. And maybe you can relate to this, but I just feel like there's so many layers. You know, there's so many things to unlearn. And um, it's not exactly like the post you see online where it's like, just eat the cookie. It's like, yeah, I understand. Cool idea. But 
it's like there's more underneath that you really have to work through to get to a point where you're not thinking about those foods all the time or thinking about the weight gain or weight loss, whatever it might be. So yeah, I think it took some time for me. Like I, I think even within the past four to five years, I've noticed random food rules come up that I hadn't even, I haven't even noticed, you know, where it's like, I was only buying whole wheat bread for a period of time. My husband's like, and we get a different type of bread, no offense, double fiber, nut seed bread. I just would like to have some sourdough bread, you know, things like that, that I just didn't, didn't really recognize. So yeah, it's been a, a learning process and it took some time. But I think as I started unlearning a lot of like my fat phobic beliefs and I was letting go of this idea that I needed to be a certain weight to one, have a good A1C, you know, like within range A1C and two, to be healthy in general. Like I felt I held onto those two beliefs so strongly mm. that I just felt like I was in this never ending loop of not being able to attain it. Yeah. And when you were in this cycle of like binge eating, what did it look, how did it affect your blood sugars? What did it look like? Oh, yeah. So it would be, you know, where I was being super quote unquote good and eating all the right things. I was doing a lot of like low carb and, you know, low carb pizza. It's like everything I really wanted to eat was turned into a low carb version. But when I would go spend time with people, we'd go out to eat, I would feel stressed. And it's like that stress would like ramp me up. And I would remember coming home and I would have some things in the house that were like, for my cheat days and I would just binge on them. And it's like watching my blood sugar go up. I felt like such a failure. I was like, I did it again. Like I could have prevented this. I shouldn't have done that. I had dinner when I was with my friends. Why did this happen? Like I didn't realize that I had unmet needs that, you know, were just lingering there. So yeah, it would definitely impact my blood sugar and it wouldn't feel good. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious because like having episodes of binging and restricting that would acutely make your blood sugars go up and down. But what did your uh, HbA1c look like? Like not the, good, really? It, yeah, it was very chaotic. And I, I'm trying not to say good and bad. I'm trying not to like make it a black and white thing. But I, what I noticed was I was having a really hard time finding a stable range for myself. Mm -hmm. um, it was very much like roller coaster. Um, and it was interesting because recently, you know, being pregnant this past year, um, we have to have pretty tight control. And I knew I wanted to approach it in a way where I'm still giving myself permission. But I looked back at my different A1Cs and it's like the times that I was dieting, my A1C was like all over the map. Like there was no rhyme or reason. Even if I was eating mostly low carb, the binges and you know the having my ups and downs it just wasn't helping me yeah and so i assume you're on insulin daniel i am yeah i have my insulin pump i don't know why i feel like i need to show you but here it is yeah 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 uh so, want to ask um because commonly i'm just thinking like in a hospital setting or a clinical setting um when when dietitians come across um people who are struggling with diabetes diabetes and then they're and blood sugars or A1C is like all over the place. Oftentimes you could often like point to like 
ah, you got the wrong dose of insulin or you're not get, taking your insulin well. But yeah, after hearing from you, we need to also take into account the relationship with food and if they're having binges or not. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about like um, the burnout, the burnout that you experience, you know, taking care of diabetes is a full-time job. It's really exhausting. Again, going back to like those unmet needs or, you know, feeling restricted around things um, that you want to have. I think there gets to a point where every person with diabetes feels so burnt out. It's kind of, it goes into that, like, what the hell effect that people have with binging. So it's like, whatever, I need a day off. I need a vacation from managing this because it's so tiring. Yeah. So when you, when you do get um, diabetes burnout, what, what do you feel like would be helpful or what do you um, clinically find helpful for people who are struggling with diabetes burnouts? Oh, yeah. Um, I love talking about this, too, like with my groups and stuff, because it's just we all go through it. Um, so my recommendations are to kind of assess like some of the things that are causing you stress. So being able to maybe journal it out or just have some time to think about it. So, for example, let's say you're feeling burnt out and I can give you an example. I was feeling a few months ago burnt out with all the things and um, I decided for myself, you know what, I'm going to focus on making sure I'm eating and doing finger pricks instead of having my continuous glucose monitor. I'm going to check my blood sugar, you know, do the things I normally do, but rather than having something that's telling me all day long, I'm just going to check. And that's what I needed. That's not what everyone else needs, but I just kind of took all the different tasks and I made it simpler for myself. I took one to two things that are crucial, you know, making sure you're eating. Absolutely. That's always going to be on the table and making sure I'm still just checking in with my blood sugars because I need to make sure I'm feeling okay. Because when your blood sugars are high or low, it doesn't feel good. So I, I chose those two things. And that's what I always say to people is if feeling overwhelmed, you have tons of tasks that are weighing you down and making you exhausted. Choose a few things that are really important, like eating and maybe just checking in with your blood sugars if you're able to. By the way, just a quick break from the podcast to let you know of my free hunger regulation webinar series, which is in the link in the description of this podcast. There's also an ebook version if you're more of a reader than a watcher. This is the perfect resource I wish I had when I struggled with binge eating years ago, which is used to guide you from everything you need to know from why we binge, what are the binge triggers and the eating pattern to stop binge eating. Because when we've been struggling with binge eating for so long, you and your body lose touch of what normal hunger and normal fullness is. You're constantly on feast or famine mode. So head to the link in the description of this podcast for the free hunger regulation resources to have a clear game plan to tackle binge eating for good. Anyway, let's get straight back to the episode. Yeah. Yeah. So just keeping it like a very minimalist, but not completely going on a full vacation. Um, so good. Yeah. And there's definitely been times where I've had clients where I'm like, looking at the numbers is not helping you. I think you even just need a day to take a step back. And I know that sounds really like terrifying as like a clinician talking to a patient, but sometimes even the numbers are triggering. And I think that's also why, like, with people with diabetes, if you've struggled with an eating disorder or you get an eating disorder um, after diagnosis, 
it feels really hard to heal your relationship with food because you're thinking about blood sugar numbers all the time. And that can be so triggering. So I always give people the permission if checking your blood sugar is stressing you out, going to take a, a little break from that. And I know that's scary. Well, that's but, thing. Yeah. 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 It's important, though, because, you know, that cycle can continue and it's it's just tough. Yeah. And on the topic of diabetes burnout, because I feel like this is really, really important to go through. Yeah. So for people who maybe haven't gone through diabetes burnout or maybe they're feeling burnt out, but they don't really know why. What, are the, what do you mm. find are the common triggers of people if, so they can prepare like and, you know, like prevention is better than a quote unquote cure? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, well, I feel like it's very much like a thought process. Like they're still going through the motions, but maybe it feels like you're dragging your feet. Um, it's getting harder to think about what you want to eat. It's getting harder to kind of like get the rest that you need. Basically, it just feels like you're moving in slow motion. I don't know if that's a great way of describing it, but it's kind of how people have described it to me and I've experienced it. So if you're feeling a lot of that fatigue, mental fatigue, and maybe even physical fatigue, and yeah, like even coming down to like, what are you going to eat? You know what? You do not need to be meal prepping right now. Go to the store, get some takeout, whatever it's going to be. Make it simpler for yourself. It's okay. Uh, and, you know, I think as like dietitians too, it's really fun to talk about like frozen foods are great. Getting in those frozen veggies and, then you know, fruits, awesome. Go pick up some rotisserie chicken, make a sandwich. You know, it's like just simplify. So does that answer that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Just give yourself permission to have those. Well, I like to say comfort foods. Yeah, but yeah. there's a little disclaimer that like it's if you're using stressful, if you're using food only to cope with stressful moments, it's your only coping mechanism. Then that's yeah. not a problem. But it's all right to like give yourself permission to have these. Uh, yeah. recharge foods every now and I then. I love that. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And exactly. It, like it is comfort food because food can be emotional. And absolutely, like there's times when that is great. And also if it's your only tool in the toolbox, it becomes challenging. Yeah. And what does your um, HbA1c look like at the moment now that you're following intuitive eating? Yeah, so it's, I'm not going to give an exact number just oh, in okay. case there's anyone that feels triggered by numbers. I don't, I don't know, maybe they don't, but it's been under a seven for a while. Okay. Um, and I think that was also like a huge moment for me um, because I think I only had one time, I've had diabetes for like 16 years and um, I only had one time where it was under a seven and that was the first few months after diagnosis because I was put on insulin and I was not eating enough because I was so scared of what I was eating. So lots of low carb, not enough. But I was getting praise for that. Like, great job. You did it. And I couldn't maintain it. So I always held on to that. Like, I haven't been under a seven in over like... 10, 12 years. And as I started working through intuitive eating, I started realizing, you know, we have tools for 
coping with things. It's like I started realizing and building tools for blood sugar management that were health promoting for me. Um, you know, learning and figuring out what kind of movement I like, making sure I am focusing on adequate sleep, stress management, um, understanding how to pair certain foods together, which not only is satisfying, but is helpful for a slower blood sugar spike. So as that was happening, I started seeing numbers go down, down, down. And my life wasn't really changing. That's the thing. It's like I wasn't feeling deprived. I wasn't feeling like, um, how am I going to keep this up? It's like I was just adding things in versus taking things away. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, really interesting. And then, um, so I guess my point of view at the moment right now is if I'm imagining, imagining myself that I have diabetes and I'm struggling with binge eating and restricting every now and then, I think the next thing I'd like to ask uh, you, Danielle, is, okay, maybe I might feel like I want to start reintroducing food, but I'm really worried that my blood sugars are going to skyrocket if I give my per myself yeah. permission to eat regular meals, uh, yeah. the foods I crave every now and then. So what, what yeah. do you really say to people who in, are in the transition period? Yeah, so I definitely try to talk with people about bringing in curiosity with blood sugars. So if somebody says something like that to me, I always respond with, you know, your blood sugar could spike. It may not, though. And if we don't give this an opportunity just to be curious about what's going to happen, you won't know. Um, and usually I try to like be very gentle in this because I, I understand it's hard. Um, and like for some people, we'll come up with different ideas. I talk with them like, let's make sure that you're eating consistently throughout the day because even that is going to help with that stability. You know, do you want to try to add in like a protein or fat source with this, a fibers? Just see how it goes. Basically, just let yourself experiment and be okay with what that blood sugar response might be, because it could be different the next time. There could be something you could add to it. So almost in a way, like its own exposure, you know, you're just giving little exposures until the person feels comfortable and feels safe to have those foods around. Yeah. Okay. And the thing I'd like to ask also is because you mentioned very briefly on food pairing, for those who are not familiar with it, um, what is food pairing and how can it help your blood sugars? Adding more food? How is that going to help my blood yeah. sugars? Yeah. You know what? Yeah. That seems interesting. Um, so when we are creating a meal, typically if someone's thinking like, okay, I, I'm going to have like, for example, some oatmeal. That can be big, scary, big, scary feelings for people with diabetes. But, um, what happens is when you throw in maybe like a protein and fat source, let's say you're throwing in some peanut butter, it's got some protein, has some fat, maybe throw in some fiber, some berries. So the protein and fat slows down the breakdown of the carbohydrate, which would be the oats. So as the carbs are breaking down, which again, that's what they're meant to do. They are meant to give us that energy. They're our brain's primary fuel source. You throw in the protein and fat, it's going to slow it down. So now when your blood sugar is increasing, it's going to have a slower curve up and it's going to help you have more stable energy. So I, I talk about this all the time with people 
Um, you know, how can you balance your plate and, you know, what are the benefits of that? So pasta, you know, have your bowl of pasta. Do you want to throw a chicken in? Do you want to throw in some broccoli? Do you want to have some cheese? Like, I feel like these are ways of making the food, one, more enjoyable, but two, definitely a good source of that, like, slower breakdown for the carbs. So, um, yeah, that's that's what um, food pairing is. And you can do it with snacks and meals. And I think it's just a really great tool for people, especially when you're trying to work on healing your relationship with food. Mm, it's actually like... Um... Hitting, well, I don't like to say this term, like hitting two birds with one stone. Like you're introducing um, possibly your fear foods and then you're also like improving your blood sugars. So it's a really good activator yeah. actually. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's definitely um, helpful to know because I think, again, thinking about food pairing and then thinking about you know the previous question you had asked, you know, if someone's scared to see how a food's going to impact them. It's like, again, this is a really great tool. It's not the only way, but it's a tool that can be helpful. Yeah. And also like to, uh, like pick your brains also on this, uh, Danielle. Uh, what, have you heard of like um, for diabetes, sometimes doctors would recommend very low calorie diets, like roughly 800, maybe a thousand calories a day. Yeah, it's not good. That's not good. That's <laughs> not good. Um, uh, yeah. I feel oh, so I've read some different research on the different diets for diabetes. I mean, low calorie means low energy. And if you're not getting enough food for your body to sustain you, you're not going to be functioning well. And also that could impact your blood sugars. So thinking about um, just in general, 800 calories or a thousand calories, like that's barely the needs of a toddler so when you're telling somebody to go on a diet like that i presume the reason is with diabetes for weight loss okay maybe you'll see an improvement in the a1c at first maybe you'll see you know quote you know some weight loss but what ends up happening after that is they've weight cycled because they're probably gonna you know as they start eating normally again their body's gonna try to adapt and they might see that yo-yo dieting pattern, which can increase insulin resistance. Mm -hmm. So now the person not only has, you know, regained weight, but now their body is having a harder time with that insulin, you know, getting into the cells. So I think dieting is probably one of the worst things people with diabetes can do, yet it's one of the only things that we're told to do. That's really interesting. I didn't know it would affect your insulin resistance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll send you after. Um, there's a really, really interesting um, article about that and some studies on it. So okay. I'll send that to you after. Yes, please. And probably I can like link that in the description of this uh, podcast. Sure. Also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. So like yo-yo dieting does much, much more quote unquote damage, shall I say, uh, with very strong quote unquote signs because i don't want to use like fear words but like things yeah. like um affecting your thyroid health affecting your blood pressure cholesterol yo -yo yeah. really yeah 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 so i mean it it is essentially putting stress on your body 
I think a lot of times people don't realize that. Like you think about like wellness culture and mm. how people, um, it's like glamorized to eat less. And the problem is, is that these things are not sustainable and it's not nourishing our bodies properly. Um, so for somebody with diabetes, not getting enough food, we need consistent eating to happen in order for our blood sugars to stay stable. I mean, even for people without diabetes, because when you think about glucose, blood sugar, it's that's what gives you the energy. And so if you're not getting that, you're not going to be able to concentrate. You're probably going to have this like preoccupation with food, thinking about it. It kind of messes with like your hunger signals because your body's adapting to not having enough. So I would definitely say like with any other condition and just with people in general, um, dieting is not beneficial for people with diabetes. And especially if you're in the mode for trying to like lower your blood sugars. Yeah. On that topic, jumping from that. Yeah. Well, I, I could come from many angles, but uh, I just want to ask, what's the most common diet you find people with diabetes that they jump onto? Okay. Oh, yes. So definitely like low carb diet and keto. I think keto yeah. has been very popular. Um, and it's, it's interesting. I, I understand. Again, I think a lot of it comes from the fear around having carbs. So you get diagnosed with diabetes, whether it's type one, type two, um, other forms of diabetes. And the thought is, carbs are going to affect me negatively. So how do I find other ways to have things I want without the carb? Um, that's definitely a huge um, risk for the binge pattern to start for a lot of people. Um, but uh, alongside with that, when people are, there's another study that was talking about the differences with like a low carb diet, high protein, high fat. And one of the main issues that was happening with that is because people were eating so much protein and fat, protein and fat will still break down into glucose in the body. Um, fat has a very minimal effect, like maybe like a 10% impact, but protein will break down into glucose after maybe like five to six hours. So people were not really seeing any improvements and they're like very minimal for a short period of time. And it kind of just went back to increasing. So I say this because I know it's super popular right now. It's very big trend, but I think those diets also remove that permission that you can have with food and still keep that food role going that, you know, you can't have carbs and diabetes, you can't have sweets. So again, if somebody has that and or is like doing that type of diet and they enjoy it, you know what? That is fine. But I think more times than not, people are having issues and trying to figure out ways to have their cheat days, ways to have the foods that they want without the carbs. They're basically just trying to have the thing they originally wanted. So my, my thought is, let's learn how to have the thing you want. A little break before we continue with the podcast. What if I told you that you could end binge eating once and for all and still keep all the binge foods you love, but without losing control over them? 
Yep, it is possible. You don't need any willpower, no more jumping from diet to diet, and no more meal replacement shakes. You'll also improve your bloating, heartburn, and low energy levels. It's all possible with my self-paced online course called the Binge Freedom Blueprint. It's everything I wish I knew when I struggled with binge eating, all packaged into one platform to help you live the life you truly deserve. The whole goal is to help you put an end to googling binge eating help once and for all, and to focus fully on the things we really care about in life, such as friends, family, and relationships. So click the link in the description of this podcast now to learn more about the Binge Freedom Blueprint. And with that, let's get back straight to the episode. Yeah. So there's like so much like, oh, well, fear mongering with carbs. So when totally, yeah, but we, we still need carbs. We definitely still need carbs. Like everybody needs carbohydrates. And, um, I know a lot of times people that are very into like the keto diets, things like that, and they say, you don't need carbohydrates, like your body will you know, make them on their own. And it's like, well, your body's going to start breaking down your muscle and your fat in order to get that energy. So um, we do need it. The body's primary fuel source. So, yeah. Yeah. And am I correct with, if you have type 1 diabetes and you jump on the keto diet, you can get DKAs? Diabetic? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like a little different. Um, yes, and then also kind of different, which I'm trying to remember what the difference was. Like, I think, oh, I feel like I might have to get back to you. <laughs> My mom brain is taking over. Um, so while you won't get like DK where you're having high blood sugar sent to like the hospital, you will be spilling some ketones and that's not necessarily beneficial okay. for somebody with diabetes. Um, yeah, so definitely not a good idea. Basically, we need carbs. <laughs> yeah, we need carbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, you just like there's like tons of information, really, really helpful information, Danielle. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's diabetes is such an interesting area and i think people don't realize just how much people with diabetes struggle with their relationship with food because from that first point of diagnosis sometimes people just get a handout and it says cut carbs or here's the five carbs you can eat or whatever and it just impacts people so much yeah even doctors and hospitals they would i mean so i work um full-time as a hospital clinical dietitian and then part-time that's amazing this, uh, with binge dietitian um you're amazing yeah hustling yeah that's why i really, <laughs> I really yeah. but like uh one time i was in the hospital and the consultant which is the the boss doctor here in the uk um got us got us the dietitians to see this patient he, he was eating all of his meals he wasn't losing any weight and then this doctor said can you Please give some diabetes education to this patient. He's eating two oranges a day. And I was like, really? <laughs> like, is this a book? <laughs> Should I give him a high five? Good not, job. <laughs> not even orange juice. It was like the whole orange with the skin. And the patient yeah. knew much, much more about like uh, consistent carbs, what kind of foods. So, yeah, there's so much information. Even doctors recommending, like you said, like very low carb diets. Sometimes totally. even recommending like keto diets, vegan diets. I've seen that too, plant-based. But again, nothing wrong with that if that's something that you like, but it's not 
a, a must for people with diabetes. Yeah, like, and it as long as it's, it should be sustainable, like rather than just like, mm-hmm. which diet should I choose today for this patient? Yeah. <laughs> well, which one can you try out? Let's just throw the dart. Yeah. Um, our diet. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Um, speaking of like clinical, I think that's also something um, that I like to share with people too. Is like, don't get me wrong. There's some really amazing doctors, endocrinologists, all that. But I noticed that there's so many diet books that doctors write, and I don't quite understand it when it's like in medical school they've maybe had about 24 hours of nutrition education, and we've had so much experience. Like we are the experts. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that misinformation just kind of keeps cycling. It's like playing a, a game of telephone until it's like, what's the message now? Like, what do I do? It's just so confusing for patients. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if it's similar there in uh, California, but here in the UK, like the doctors, if they pres- like if they give some dietary advice and this patient ends up in the hospital, they they're they're not like bound by any like regulatory. Um, the GMC, which is the medical mm-hmm. board, they don't yeah. like dietary advice. But dietitians, yeah. like dietitians like me here in the UK, if I like recommend something that's against the evidence, then I can like have my license questioned. So, which is why you could trust a dietitian, but like doctors, they're yeah. giving any advice, and then it, if anything goes wrong, it's not on them. It's crazy. Yeah. I don't know why it's like there in California or in... in I want to say it's kind of similar, sadly. I mean, I still work on call at a hospital. Um, and I mean, it's still happening for sure. You know, I think dietitians in the facility I'm at work towards credibility where the doctors will take a step back. But, you know, there's there's yeah. some that are very gung-ho and want to just tell you the diet they're on and you should be on it too. And it's like, doesn't work like that. Does not work like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a little similar, yeah. unfortunately. Well, it's, it's our mission to debunk all of these anyway. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I think I love your content and I love all that you do. And I can't believe you're working full-time and doing um you know seeing clients outside that's that's incredible oh thank you yeah <laughs> i mean um it's i just really enjoy it yeah i can tell it's awesome it seems oh. like your passion point so oh, keep doing so it yeah. yeah anyway daniel like if people um are struggling with the relationship with food and they want some diabetes advice where can people find you yeah, so I'm mostly on Instagram. My handle is Food Freedom Diabetes. Same for my website, foodfreedomdiabetes.com. Let's keep it simple. Um, uh, same with my email, foodfreedomdiabetes at gmail.com. So yeah, those are like probably the main few ways you can contact me or follow me. So yeah. Yeah, and okay, I'll link that in the description of this podcast. And this, li- this little tradition... Um, that I do here in the podcast is where the previous guest would ask um, a question for the current guest, which is you, Danielle. Okay. Okay. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, so, no, no pressure. <laughs> so the question the previous guest um, wanted to ask you is, what's the best and the worst advice you have been given? For diabetes in specific or just in life? 
anything really. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, I got a really real back there. Oh, wild. Okay. Back to pregnancy. Um, I had a doctor. So towards the end of my pregnancy, I was having some really fun swelling in my ankles. Oh, something some people can look forward to. Yeah, super great. Um, and I remember asking the doctor, I said, listen, you know, I'm working on, um, you know, reducing some sodium with my cooking, elevating my legs, things like that. Is there anything else I can do? And she told me to cut carbs. <laughs> and I asked her why. I said, well, I'm a dietitian, so I'm curious why you think that would help me. And she said, because carbs make you swell. And I said, huh, really? So how many carbs should I be eating a day? And she didn't know. And so I said, "Mm -hmm." and I didn't listen. That was recently probably the the worst advice I was given. Did she she say it with lots of confidence? Carbs make you swell. It really did. Yeah, carbs make you swell. And I was like, immediately now immediately no that's not it that's not it and i guess there's no no hope if i can't if i elevate my legs and the swelling's not going down so yeah yeah Yeah. that's my that's my bad advice (laughs) i mean never mind if you might have underlying heart failure kidney issues leading to swelling it's it's all the carbs apparently it's it's bread (laughs) but in my mind i was like then why has this not happened to other people before? Like, wouldn't there be like a whole like uh, name for this? Yeah. Like bread dema, bread, bread dema. I don't know, <laughs> something like that. So, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised yeah, that's if, mine. if that popped up. But... <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is the so, best? Yeah, that's a good one. What's the best advice? The best advice that I was given. I feel like I've, I've had a lot of good advice. Um, I think maybe from like my therapist, um, she would tell me, you know, like just to remember that when you're feeling anxious and maybe that you're not doing enough in life, that, you know, where you're at right now, you're, the current thing you're focusing on is more than enough. And to give yourself some leeway to to be okay with what's happening because I think I personally and maybe other people can relate I put a lot of pressure on myself to get tons of things done throughout the day and take care of my diabetes and take care of a newborn it's like it's overwhelming and it's like what you're doing right now what's right in front of you is more than enough so if anyone else needs that advice that really helped me a lot that's really really good advice yeah, thank you. Well, I mean, thanks to my therapist. So, <laughs> and the question for what would be the question you'd like to ask for the next guest? Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm going to make it food related. If you could only have one dessert for the rest of your life, what dessert would that be? Ooh. Well, what what would your dessert be? Mm. I think it would be gelato. Gelato. Uh, oh, is that a plan? Yeah, there's a, a gelato place near my house, and they have a cookie butter flavor that's so good. Cookie butter? Is it, is it like cookie dough flavor? 
Uh, not cookie dough. It's like um, like Biscoff. You ever had Biscoff? Yeah, no, Biscoff, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. really, really good. Oh, it's so, so good. Yeah, so I think gelato would be it for me, for sure. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I think mine would be, was a bit specific. So, you know, those brownies that you can heat in a microwave and then you put um, vanilla ice cream on top. Like a lava cake? Yeah. Essentially anything that's hot and then like something nice and cold with it. That would be so really good. Oh, yeah. even like a, like cookie pies, little cookie pies with ice cream. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That would be, that would be up there for me too. Mm, no so guilt. good. Ne- never any guilt. <laughs> no. Amazing. That, that sounds good. I like that. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Danielle, um, I'll link the, dis- I'll link your, well, I'll link your links in the description of this podcast. And okay, awesome. Yeah. And I just want to say thank you so much for coming along to this podcast. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on and get to chat with you more. Yeah. Well, thank you for everything. What if I told you you can end binge eating and still keep all the foods you love without dieting, without willpower and no more meal plans? Check the link in the description for my exclusive self-paced binge freedom blueprint online course to learn everything I wish I knew when I struggle with binge eating. It's all packaged into one platform to make it easy to transform your life right now. 